All right. If you have a Bible, go to Exodus chapter three with me. Exodus chapter three. We're in the. If you're a guest of ours, uh, let me give you a special welcome uh, today. We're really glad that you're here, worshiping Jesus with us. And uh, if you if you don't know Christ, uh, all of this might be like really dramatic for you. <laughs> like, wow. Like, did I like what is happening right now? Um, because one of the things that happens is when when you come to Christ, uh, things change. Uh, but one of the things that happens is if you're with Christ for a while, uh, you forget that things have changed. And so we need these moments as God's people, as his church, to be reminded of what God's doing in the world. Uh, if you are a member at Redeemer, you know and I've heard me talk about uh, two things a lot. One is, my, I think, my favorite verse in all the Bible. And that, that, this might change next week when I'm speaking. But uh, today, uh, my favorite verse in all the Bible, 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven, that says, God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And uh, that, that's the story that the Post told us. That's the story of Redeemer City Church. And that's the story of God's kingdom. You know, when Jesus stepped on earth, he, he came as a weak, humble uh, orphan. He was born to a single mother who had never had sex with a man. Think about that. And Joseph, think about the surroundings of what Joseph went through uh, to hear your future wife is pregnant. Uh, and she's pregnant with God, by the way. Uh, as if uh, being a parent's not hard enough. Uh, you're going to shape Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Oh, no big deal. Uh, how about he parent me when he's like three? <laughs> And yet Joseph stepped into that moment and uh, became an adoptive father. What an awesome thing. And uh, the Bible tells us that if you know Christ, you've been adopted into his family. And uh, that you were an orphan. That you were dead in your trespasses and sins. If you don't know Jesus today, I want you to know that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And the, the hole in your heart is that you need a loving father. And Jesus came and gave his life for you on a cross 2,000 years ago. But three days later got up and lived so that you can live. And uh, the Bible says that he's not willing that anybody should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so uh, we invite you to do that, that, that this story that you've been told today from when you got here to now is the story that we want you to have. And uh, that's why we do what we do. And we want you to know that. But the Bible, too, is chock full of God using uh, the weak things of the world to accomplish what we can accomplish. And uh, th there's no better poster child for that uh, than Moses. If, uh, if you don't know much about your Bible, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's called the Pentateuch. Uh, it's called the Law. It's where we get a lot of those first instructions about where the world came from, where, where God began to meet with his people. And there's all kinds of good stuff. Uh, it's great reading, except for maybe Leviticus and Numbers. Uh, but you need to power through that because it's got some good stuff in there. But uh, if you are not a Christian today and you become a Christian today and God draws you to himself, uh, maybe start with the Gospel of John. <laughs> Don't go straight to Leviticus. All right. But 
Moses wrote those books, but God did a lot in Moses' life. When we meet Moses in the book of Exodus, he is um, born into a scenario where Egypt and the Pharaoh in Egypt ran the world. And uh, I think it was for some 1,200 years, Egypt was the powerhouse on earth, probably the longest uh, dynasty we have ever had in the history of the world. That's why I'm fond of saying that uh, the United States is a blip on the history of, of the radar, of the radar of history. Uh, because, I mean, here, here's Egypt, just powerful, powerful, powerful. Uh, in the eyes of the world, in the culture of the world. And so Moses is born when the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. Because Joseph, if you know the story in Genesis, uh, was brought to power in Egypt and God gave favor to his people. But then that, the Bible says that Pharaoh died and a new one took over and forgot about God's people and forgot about Joseph and put them in slavery. And so Moses is born into that, and, and there's a miracle surrounding that. Uh, all the, the Israelites were gaining so much uh, in number that the Pharaoh decided, we're just going to kill all the babies that are born. Uh, so when they're born, they'll be aborted immediately. And uh, Moses' mother uh, obviously wasn't fond of that, and so she has the baby Moses puts him in a basket and sticks him in the Nile River. Real place, by the way, in the Nile River. And so uh, Kent was making a joke to me that the crack in the wall back there, if we just would have placed Africa properly, and we could have the Nile River uh, go right through there. And, uh, you know, food for thought next time, Art, artistic abilities. But uh, so Moses floating around the, in the river, and Pharaoh's daughter sees him and adopts him and he's given an incredible education i'm giving you the cliff notes you need to read this in exodus uh, for yourself it's, it's a great story but what happens is moses grows up and and he just recognizes that that's not his family that his people are the israelites and they're being oppressed and the bible says that one day he uh, is out walking around and sees an egyptian soldier beating his fellow Israelites, and it makes him angry. And, you know, the stuff we see on the screens today uh, can, can make you wonder, can make you angry. Carmen talked about being angry at God. Why are these things happening? And if you look around in the world, you have to ask yourself, why are these things happening? But Moses takes matters into his own hands, and at the end of Exodus chapter 2, it says that his rage came to a point where he killed the Egyptian soldier. Uh, but how many of you know the Bible says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God? And so Moses kills this guy and realizes that that was a problem. And he has to run away. He runs away from the problem. And for 40 years, Moses' life is really in 40-year chunks, right? He spends 40 uh, doing... Uh, the royal thing, he spends 40 running away from everything, and then God uses him for 40, right? And, and so that, that's where we meet him in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, Moses has ran away from Egypt. He's living in the desert. He's uh, doing what feels good at the time. It's safe. But God had a plan for Moses. And so here's where the Bible picks it up in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. 
It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. Uh, how many of you know you're in a bad spot when you're just under the thumb of your father-in-law? Amen? <laughs> My father-in-law's in the room, so I can say that. And led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Uh, even, even in this, Moses is cluing you in to what's happening in his life. Horeb means desolate. The word means desolate. Horeb is a de- desolate place. Horeb is an awful place. Horeb, Horeb is not the place that you want to be. You don't move from Egyptian royalty to Horeb because of the nice views, right? But again, 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says that God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He uses the things that we wouldn't expect because what does it say? What does it say Horeb is? Horeb is the what? Mountain of God. So God takes this desolate place and makes it his place. And this is where he's going to come and meet Moses. So I want you to know, wherever you find yourself, you might say, I'm in a desolate place right now. I know, I've had conversations with some of you, and you feel like you're in a desolate place. Where is God in my life? I know he's theoretically real, but where is he? Where is he in the middle of the night? Where is he when I don't have a job? Where is he when I am homeless? Where is he? Where is he? And Moses writes this to to us because some of you are in that desolate place. But he says, I came to Horeb, the desolate place, the mountain of God. And God is going to meet with him. Here, here's what the Bible says. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Okay, let's do what I always ask you to do. Uh, this is Moses. He's a real human being. He sees a real bush and it is on fire. Not that crazy. We've been to bonfires, right? Like we get that. But it's not just any bush. Here, here's what it says. He looked... And behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. Okay? Now, I know we're downtown right now, but maybe some of you have bushes in your front yard. Like, go home and light one on fire. No, don't do that. But if you were to go home and light one on fire, what's going to happen to the bush? Talk to me. It will burn up and be gone, and maybe your house too. Right? Moses is looking at this bush, and he stops and is his attention is caught by it because the bush is burning, but it's not burning. It's on fire, but it's not burning. Verse 3, And Moses said, I love this. You don't tell me the Bible is not funny. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Okay, Captain Obvious, right? Uh, that bush is on fire. It's not burning, though. I'm going to go check this out. That's pretty cool. And uh, he's just a typical guy. He's a pyromaniac. It's what we do. Oh, look, fire. Whoa, whoa, crazy fire. Like, that bush is not burning. So he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go check this out. But look at verse 4. Moses went to check out a cool bush that was on fire. But God had a different idea. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Don't you just love Moses? 
if a bush ever talks to you, you should answer it. <laughs> I think most of us would be like, hey, what does he say? He says, here am I. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Why is it holy ground? I am the God, verse 6, of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. There's so much there. There's so much there for you and I to think about. Because what Moses got up that morning and went out into this desolate place, it was just a desolate place. It was just a place where you can imagine he had run away from everything that he thought he was. And he had become what he never dreamed he would become. And some of you, no doubt, sit here today and, and that, that's, that's where you are. Whether you know Jesus or don't know Jesus, you might say, I'm in this desolate place. And quite frankly, all of us, apart from Christ, are in that desolate place. Those of us who know Christ, when, when we take our eyes off Christ, when, when Hebrews is not our world when our eyes are not fixed on Jesus. We, we, we walk into that desolate place. And God gets his attention and says, Moses. And I just want to encourage you today to see yourself in this story. Is God trying to get your attention? Has God been trying to get your attention? The way God gets your attention is through his word. The way God gets your attention is through the preaching of his word. It's through the reading of his word. We, we do all these other things like music and licensing because it's an, it's an overflow of a heart that's been transformed by the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. But some of you today, I believe God has been trying to get your attention. And he wants to speak to you. And I just want to briefly give you four lies that the devil puts in your path. And four overcoming victories that God has already given you. Four lies from the devil. Four victories from God. You ready? We're going to fly. Because World Cup. Not that I'm into that at all. Just kidding. Kidding. I love the Bible more than the World Cup, I promise. But but let, let's 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 keep looking here because the, the first thing that we see there in verse one to six is that God has uh, given Moses law and he answers it with gospel, right? It says, Moses, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Get a proper perspective. God's law will always give you a proper perspective. When you read this book, there are going to be things that you go, Ugh, I'm not doing that. I'm not measuring up to that. But what is his answer to that? I am the Lord your God. He goes on in verse 7. I don't know if I gave this to you, but he says, uh, to put on the screen, but he says, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them 
out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Some of you say that would be great if God would show up right now and take me from that desolate place and put me in that good place. But there's a process that they go through. Number one, the first lie that Moses believed and that God has to answer and that you might believe and that God has to answer is this. And if you're taking notes or you're on the Version Bible app, that's going to be the first blank. The first lie that we believe is, who am I? Who am I? Who, who am I? When I look out and I see all the problems in the, in the world, who am I? Moses says the same thing in verse 10. God says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I? And you might be sitting here thinking like, who am I? Who am I that, that I could make a difference? Who am I? But listen to this. But Verse 12, God said, but I will be with you. But I will be with you. Wherever you find yourself today, and you, you might be asking yourself, who, who am I that, I that I could do anything of value for the kingdom of God? Moses said the same thing. And the answer that you need from God is to overcome condemnation. Because your past is not who you are. It does not define who you are. Who you are in Christ defines who you are. Look at Titus chapter 3. I think I gave you that. Titus chapter 3. We can get that on the screen. Verse 4 and 5 says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, listen carefully, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. What you don't bring anything to the table. The, the, the answer to the question, who am I? Is nobody. <laughs> But that's great news for you. Because if it's on your shoulders, we're all in trouble. If it's on my shoulders, you are definitely in trouble. It's on God's shoulders. And so uh, you don't bring it to Jesus. He brings it to you. And that's what makes it work. You have to overcome condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen to that. So that's the first lie. The second lie in verses 13 to 15, your second blank is, who are, who are you? Because the first question is, who am I? But the second question is, well, who are you? You know, we, we, we've heard about God, but, but, I, but I have yet to see God. <laughs> right? That's a fair question. And, and by the way, God's not afraid of your questions. You need to ask your questions because there are good answers to your questions. God's not afraid of science. God's not afraid of history. God's not afraid of your uh, parents. God's not afraid of your neighbors. God's not afraid of scientists. He's not. There are good answers to every question that you have. He's not afraid of that. So Moses says to God in verse 13, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Listen to God's answer. How awesome is this? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He says, I am self-evident. There, there's nothing I can even say to you 
to describe to you who I am. I am who I am. You know, when somebody asks me who I am, I don't say, I am who I am. They'd be like, okay, don't talk to me anymore, right? Because that doesn't make sense for us. I say, well, I'm tall, I'm kind of skinny, I'm kind of nerdy. I, you know, we, we have an explanation for that. God says, I am who I am. Wow. He said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Who do we worship today? We worship the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He has always been, he will always be, and he's big enough to handle whatever he has allowed to come in to your life. Who is God? He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, the author and finisher of your salvation. And he's a loving father. And he's not willing that you would perish. When, when people were uh, anxious in front of Jesus, when he walked this earth, he looked at them and said, listen, I take care of the birds of the air. Will I not take care of you? Do not worry about tomorrow's troubles because today's troubles have enough of their own. He's a good God. When we ask the question, who are you to God, what God answers back is you can overcome your doubt because of who I am and who I've always been. Look at what he said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah thirty-two, seventeen. I love what he says here. He says, ah, we all know what that feels like. Ah, refreshment. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing's too hard for our God. Who are you? He is God. He is God. You can overcome your doubt. The third thing, what if they? This is probably where you and I live the most. What about them? I like to think of it this way. There's always a great sway with they. The people around you have a lot to do with who you are. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. It's a powerful thing. Because look at Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me. Maybe you look around your office or around your neighborhood and you say, what, what am I supposed to do? Like They're, they're not going to believe me. I don't have anything to say. You're right. <laughs> That's very fair. You don't have anything to say. But God has something to say. What if they... You need to overcome your fear. Listen to what Scripture says here in verse 8. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And God goes on to explain all the things that you and I know to happen in the Exodus story with the plagues and and all of those things. But what's God saying? You do the sowing and I'll do the reaping. You just tell your story. You just tell my story. You just share what you're capable of sharing. Paul said it this way in the New Testament. Who cares if Apollos preaches? Who cares if I preach? Are, are you following Apollos or Paul? No. He says you're following Jesus. Some sow, 
some water, but God gives the increase. You can do everything that God has called you to do because he is going to do it. Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians. He is faithful to do this and he will finish it. It has nothing to do with you. If you're faithful, if you're obedient because you get to be faithful and you get to be obedient, it's not even a job, it's a joy. Maybe some of you just need to write that down. Obeying God is not a job, it's a joy. And he'll start to change your life. Romans 1.16, you hopefully know this well. And if you don't, memorize it because it's amazing. Because it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. You saw those boys being baptized in that video. How crazy to think uh, a messed up couple from Charlotte, North Carolina, would show up in Addis and start baptizing people in the name of Jesus. How cool is that? Wow. God is good. God says, who cares if they don't believe the first sign? I'm going to send another one. <laughs> who cares if they don't listen to you? I'll send somebody else. Isn't that freeing? I can do any, everything for them expecting nothing in return because I have everything in Christ. Wow. And then finally, number four. I have never. I could never. That's the next lie that we believe. Oh, that, that all sounds great, Pastor. But you just, you just don't know me. I, I can't do stuff like that. I can't be used. Look at what Moses says in Exodus 4.10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to me. Listen, now I know you're real. But even you, even you can't make this guy talk. Even you can't do it. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Now listen to what God said. And some of you need to hear this today. Some of you need to hear this today. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who made you? Who makes men mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? That's not something you and I want to ascribe to God, that he would make somebody deaf, that he would make somebody mute. But what does the Bible say? God chooses to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Some of those powerful testimonies have come from the least likely places. And so he says to Moses, I made you exactly the way I wanted you. And if you're sitting here today, God has made you exactly the way that he wanted you. And here's what he said to Moses. And here's what he says to you. And here's what he says to Redeemer City Church. He says, now therefore, go. Go. And I will be your mouth. And I will teach you what you shall speak. You want to know why you can walk across the cubicle or walk across the driveway or walk across wherever it is you find yourself on Friday night? Because God goes with you. You can do everything he's called you to do because he's going with you. The lie of I have never is overcome in Jesus. You've got to overcome your reluctance. See, sometimes we just, we just hold ourselves back when God says, I will 
go with you. Look at Hebrews 11.6 and I'll close with this. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? You know, some, sometimes this could come across as though this is some kind of work you have to do. Like that there is actually a requirement on you to please God. But, but what is faith? Faith is described later in Hebrews as the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's putting your trust in a God you can't physically see, but you can see everywhere. Let, let's be real today. God's real. His handiwork is evident everywhere you look. If you know Christ, he is alive and well and speaking to you through his creation, through his word, through his people, through the unlikely places. The Bible says in a still, small voice, God speaks. God's real. He's real. And we know that. So the question is, where are you? It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. For some of you, the action step today is to just let go of all of the lies that you've believed, to let go of all the fears that you've held and say, today I'm going to plant a stake in the ground. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to trust him. I'm not going to trust myself. And it will be the most freeing experience you've ever had in your life. And so we're, we're out of time. But I, I, want, I want to encourage you to do a couple things today. The band's going to come up and they're, they're going to play and we're going to take an offering. But um, you've taken in a lot today. You've, you've, you've taken in a lot. And as you stand here and process, I want you to just think through, where is God speaking to you today? What, what is the next step of obedience? What, what is the one thing that God's asking me to do? You can stand with us. They're, we're going to sing here in just a second. Ushers are going to come up and pass the buckets. And uh, your generosity is what makes the wheels go around here. It's what makes the wheels go around. And uh, it's what helps the wheels go around in Ethiopia, Charlotte, and all the things God's doing. But I also want to challenge you, there's some kids on that back wall. That above your tithe and your giving to what God's doing here, uh, that maybe we need to give up some coffee and make a difference in the life of a child. How awesome is that? So you just take a minute. If you want to sing with the guys, if you want to pray, just you do business with the Holy Spirit right now. And ask him, ask him, well, what is that next step that he's asking you to take? Fair enough? So let's do that. The guys are going to pass and we're going to sing. And uh, then Kevin will dismiss you. All right? We love you guys. Thank you for being here today. Let's give the Post family a hand one more time. How awesome.